So please welcome to the Fat Boy Lost Show today. I am speaking with Drew and we will get to it right after this. An important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. So Drew, welcome to the Fat Boy Loss Show. I'm super stoked to have you on this podcast. Um, uh, you know, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks, Aaron, for having me on. That's um, absolutely no worries. Um, you know, we're, I've got so many questions that <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get to. Um, but first, I want to talk about how you've got 11 brothers and sisters. Can you, <laughs> yeah, well, can you sort of... I, had nothing, <laughs> I had nothing to do with that. That was my parents. <laughs> but um, yeah, my parents had 11. My mom gave birth to 11, 11 people, eight boys, three girls. I'm number seven in the family. I have no idea how she did it because I'm a dad of two girls. And having two is, is, is enough for me. So I, don't, I can't imagine having 11. Right. And it, it, yeah, it, the amount of, um, you know, thinking about childbirth, you know, it's pretty painful, right? Going back 11 times, you know, <laughs> she must have been uh, one strong woman. Definitely. I, I tell people she has automatic ticket to heaven, no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. And uh, so can uh, for the people listening to this podcast, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you know, sort of what you got started with and and where your uh, you know where your motivations sort of came from <clears throat> yeah i mean most people know me from doing something called fit to fat to fit and that's something back in 2011 i had this crazy idea as a personal trainer and someone who had never been overweight a day in, in his life i decided to get fat on purpose because i felt like i couldn't understand why it was so hard for my clients just to follow the meal plans of the workouts that i gave them and so for whatever reason, this idea popped up in my head. I decided to document it for six months of gaining weight. I couldn't exercise and it went viral and uh, wrote a book, created a TV show out of it, you know, went on a bunch of TV shows and here in the US like Dr. Oz and Good Morning America and all these big TV shows talking about why is this trainer getting fat on purpose? So, um, <laughs> you know, I luckily I lost the weight, but it was super humbling. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I learned so many valuable lessons on the mental and emotional side of transformation, which is something I focus on now. So mm -hmm. that's a little bit how I got into this industry and where, you know, most people know me from is the fit to fit to fit guy. 
Right, yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get into some of the nuances of that in a second. But what was the motivation for you to start actually going keto? So um, the the low carb movement, the ketogenic movement, was that any way uh, because you know you did the fat to fit to fa- uh, sorry fit to fat to fit uh, you know back in two thousand eleven was keto around then or is that something that's sort of been recent? It was more recent. Uh, keto wasn't mainstream yet back then. A uh, few people were doing it in the industry, but it wasn't as big as it is today. It wasn't until about four years ago that I started experimenting with the keto diet when I heard this doctor, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino on the Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. podcast years ago talking about this diet where you know um, all the scientific benefits of, of this diet from you know a therapeutic application. So Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, uh, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, a brain toxicity, epilepsy, seizures, <clears throat> and he wasn't even really talking about it from a fat loss or weight loss perspective. But it just really intrigued me that this diet had so much scientific data and research backing it up. I decided to experiment with it, and so I did. And you know, the rest is history. Pretty much, I kind of became known in the industry for that. I went on the Dr. Oz show again, talking about the benefits of the ketogenic diet. And since then, have sold over three hundred thousand copies of my uh, ebook, my sixty-day jump, keto jumpstart program. Wow, that's fantastic! <laughs> Congratulations, um, and uh, you know that's a that's a big number, and it's a lot of people to help, really, because yeah. you know with with you know there's numbers and there's figures, and all of that sort of goes by the wayside as to the amount of people that you've helped and the amount of um, you know lives that you've you know, improved or touched by, by creating that sort of stuff. So yeah, congratulations. And I think that podcast from Tim Ferriss has got to be one of the most popular ones inside the ketogenic community (laughs) because a lot of people have started their, like, I guess like backed their career on, on, uh, you know, Dominic D'Agostino and his, that, that particular podcast. And I think there was a few there, but yeah, Tim Ferriss is a a very influential person in that space. Um, And so I'd I'd love to talk about um you know some of the nuances in the you know the way that I guess like what does a healthy mindset look like to you when it comes to losing weight because um a lot of people initially start the ketogenic diet uh, for weight loss and then they forget about it because they realize that there's so many other benefits of it um but what were some of the things that you found when you uh, were struggling to lose weight again um, that you were able to empathize with these people. And there's, and I, th- I think uh, from, from what you've sort of explained it, there's like two sides where um, everyone's getting a little bit uh, confused and, and judgmental on, on each other. Um, can you sort of explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, that kind of stemmed from my fit to fat to fit experiment um, where I feel like – and I used to be one of those people, someone that's never been overweight. It's so easy to judge someone from an outside perspective and look at them as being overweight saying, oh, what's wrong with that person? Why don't they have the willpower just to put down the junk food and exercise, right? Like we all know we should do. But if that if it was as simple as that, everyone would be skinny, right? <clears throat> what I learned from fit to fat to fit was how, how powerful the emotional connection to food really is. And, and once I ex- experienced that, even it was a small degree compared to someone, you know, who had, who's been eating this way for decades and I've only, I only ate this way for six months and I struggled with it. <clears throat> it really opened up my eyes to, to that emotional connection to food. And that's what we struggle with is we try and give people diets and meal plans and workouts and supplements thinking if I just, you know, if we focus on this, it'll help us lose weight. But what the problem is, is the perception of 
people's perception of fitness or weight loss, it needs to be this all or nothing thing where they're perfect and they have to, you know, suffer in the gym and beat themselves up and be sore all the time. And then they have to starve themselves skinny and they're miserable and they're hangry all the time. And they deprive themselves for 30 or 60 days. They might lose weight, but it's not sustainable for them. And why is that? It's our perception thinking that we need to look like a certain uh, you know, celebrity or Instagram model to be healthy. So we, we, what we think is healthy from what we see on social media and TV and movies isn't necessarily true. Our version of healthy on our body is going to look ver- different than someone else's version of healthy on their body. But the problem is that we compare ourselves thinking we have to have a six pack, we have to look skinny in order to be healthy, when in reality that's not true. If we just focus on the process rather than the results, we'll be so much better off. The problem is getting people it's not really sexy to show people like, hey, you can be healthy and fit, but you're not going to look like this Instagram model. People want to do whatever it takes sometimes to look that, that way, thinking that's, that's what they need to look like in order to be healthy, in, in order for society to accept them. The problem is that we buy into that myth, that lie, that <clears throat> we have to look that way in order for people to accept us. And, and unfortunately, we have experiences where people have been mean to us or rude to us based on our weight. They've treated us differently. And therefore, we think, wow, I'm not worthy because these people are treating me badly because I don't look a certain way. I should probably change that about myself. And anyways, it's this, it's this um, never-ending cycle of, of never being good enough unless we look a certain way. But the problem is, just similar to how we think if we have money, we'll be happier and all of our problems will be solved. And mm-hmm. that's just not true. It's, it's false because otherwise every rich person in this world would be extremely happy. And the same thing goes for every person that has 5% body fat that looks amazing on the outside doesn't equate to fulfillment and happiness in this life. So we mm-hmm. think that's what's going to bring us happiness when in reality, we have so much more to offer this world than our bodies, our physical, you know, body composition. We have so much more to offer this world. The problem is that our society and culture are wrapped around this image, this physical, this outward appearance. And in reality, there's so much more to us than just our bodies. So I tell people, you're not your body. You have so much more to offer this world. And instead, focus on your version of healthy. And whatever that looks like, you know, it it is what it is. It's going to be different on each person. Yeah, that's fantastic advice, you know. And I think, um, you know, that comparison between other people is is the source of all unhappiness you know um and there's there's nothing to be gained from trying to compare your level one to someone else's level 10 or vice yeah. versa you know your level <clears throat> 10 to someone else's level one um and so uh you know you, you talked a little bit about uh cravings and uh and you know building a lifestyle around trying to avoid those different types of things what's the number one thing that people may be doing uh wrong that's um, is impeding their progress when it comes to creating that routine or creating a lifestyle, um, and and essentially making something easier than it than it should be. So there's a great book that I love called Willpower Doesn't Work, and I think everyone listening should go look at it, go read that book if possible. It's a great book by Benjamin Hardy, and he talks about how willpower doesn't work, and it's so true. The problem is that we try to willpower our way to a new lifestyle change. We think, okay, I'm never going to touch sugar again. I'm never going to touch alcohol. No candy, no sweet treats, like you know, um, and we try and willpower our way through it. The problem is, thirty, sixty days later, it ends up not working because 
the key is not to willpower your way through something. It's, it's to change your environment and adapt to that new environment. So what that could look like for you is maybe you get rid of all of the junk food out of your house and you replace it with all healthy food. That right there is changing your environment. You, I guess I promise you you're going to adapt to that new environment because you spend all this money on healthy food and you're not going to let that go to waste and there's no unhealthy food in the house. The second thing is to you know change up your routine. So instead of waking up at the same time and doing the same routine of you know making your morning coffee and having a, a piece of toast or bagel and um, and a donut and heading to the office, waking up at an earlier time, setting your gym clothes out or sleeping in your, in your gym clothes so that when you first wake up, you go to the gym first thing in the morning. And at first, guess what? It's going to suck. Adapting to any new environment is going to be really, really hard. But instead of willpowering your way through it, uh, change your environment, adapt to that new environment. It'll set you up for success in the long run. Mm, yeah, that's that's really true. You know, in the the environment, or um, maybe even the people around you, really influence that. Uh, and I think that it, a lot of people try to change their environment, but also don't uh, understand the consequences of that sometimes. And so, um, this is where I think that sometimes. Uh, willpower needs to be <laughs> relooked again is that a- a- accepting the amount of just just say you've got lots of junk food in the house and and your partner has that and they don't want to remove that um, but you have to start a new lifestyle and generally I, I feel like when people are trying to lose weight it's it's always one person sort of pushing towards it and then the other one will follow eventually um, but you know how, how would you um, how would you say to that person to uh, like what are the best ways for them to change their environment and 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 get in a good routine because um, oftentimes it's not about creating uh, an, a new environment it's looking at the same environment differently I guess yeah that's a good that's a good um, that's a good question and that's a good statement you know your perception of your environment can change as well um, and if you do have a spouse that's maybe not on board with you you have to find ways to to help them be supportive of you. So, of course, if they love you, they're gonna they're gonna do things for you. So, if they can help find ways to support you, uh, whether that's them going out of their way, you know, make it more inconvenient for them to get the unhealthy food, then that's that's one way that they can show you love. But instead of forcing them to do it, it's gonna be really really hard. So, it's coming from a place of love versus hey, you need to do this for me. Um, a selfish way, then I feel like they're more open to help helping you out. Or if you make them feel like uh, empowered, you make them feel like it's it's um, they're being rewarded in some way by helping you. That can help out in those situations. But anytime you're with a spouse or a significant other and they're not on board, it makes it super difficult. And so you have to get really creative to find ways to change your environment. And maybe that's you you know, having a friend pick you up uh, to take you to the gym every day and instead of you going to the gym by yourself, but a, an accountability partner that isn't your significant other that can help you stay accountable in those situations. So maybe it's another a friend of yours that's married that their spouse isn't supportive. And so you guys kind of bond together saying, hey, let's help each other out because maybe, you know, our loved ones aren't on board yet. Uh, finding a support system or community of people to help you in those situations. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I feel like that's where Instagram comes in really handy is, uh, you know, creating your own environment on Instagram. A lot of people on the ketogenic diet, especially start their own Instagram, find a lot of uh, community and friends around Instagram. 
um, don't often meet those people in person, but they they feel like they're they're family and they can sort of vent to those people with regards to um, the you know keto nuances. Um, and I think yeah, that's that's really powerful being able to uh, you know find find those other ways of doing it. Um, you know, and we can talk about this for ages because. Um, you know, it's such an in-depth topic, but I think uh, what people are probably best doing is going and uh, the the ebook that you said you had sold so many copies of. What was what was the name of that so that people can research that? Yeah, <clears throat> three hundred thousand copies. <laughs> um, it's it's keto dot fit to fat to fit dot com. That's where you'll find it. Keto. Okay, great. Um, and so you're uh, the author of two books now. Um, yes. not only fit, fat, fit, but also complete keto. What was the book process? Uh, and what was the writing process for you like in that? Uh, and, and, uh, how has that book sort of taken you to the next level of, of keto, I guess? Yeah. So complete keto took everything that I learned from fit to fat to fit on the mental and emotional side of transformation. And I plugged in those techniques, those habits, uh, into a ketogenic approach. So complete keto really isn't just a, a a physical keto book with meal plans and recipes and the science behind the ketogenic diet. You'll find that in there for sure, but it's more focused on the mental, emotional, spiritual side of transformation, which really surprises people. And that's why I called it complete keto because I could give you meal plans and I could give you keto recipes and tell you about the keto diet, but none of that really translates over into, okay, how do I live this as a lifestyle change? How does this help me uh, feel more fulfilled with my life and my approach to health and fitness. So all the things that I talked about in this podcast episode, you know, on the mental and emotional side of transformation, all those habits and techniques are in the book, along with a 30 day program with detailed meal plans, easy to make recipes, workouts, but you'll also see things like meditation, positive affirmations, a gratitude list that you do every single day while you're working on the physical transformation. It's also important to remember the mental, emotional, spiritual transformation. And, and if you can combine those, that's where a complete transformation happens because we think if we have a physical transformation and we lose weight, um, then we'll automatically be happy. But we all know that's not true. So if I could help people with a complete transformation, that's where people will be fulfilled. Mm, yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I always like to ask the question, what would this look like if it were easy? Um, and I think that's along with, you know, there's so many people out there just sending people meal plans. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's fine. <laughs> but I think there's so much more to uh, being able to implement a certain way of eating and making it easy. Uh, and so, uh, you know, along with not only making something easy, but also giving it the full rounded spectrum, um, I think that's that's when it starts becoming a lifestyle, you know. Um, that's when it stops becoming a 30-day challenge and starts becoming something that you do all the time. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and I think that's the problem. What I was saying before is our perception of health and fitness. We think it just needs to be a certain way, but that's, that is the broken record that's been played over and over again for decades now where we're trying to help people transform. And it's the same old, same old, you know, you know, cut your calories, work out more. And we kind of package it in different packages thinking, Oh, this new package will excite people. <laughs> when in reality it's, 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 we want, we all want the, the, the magic pill, right? What's the easiest yeah. way to lose the most amount of weight in the shortest amount of time with the least amount of effort. We all want that magic pill, but it doesn't exist. And until we realize that, Hey, it's going to require hard work adapting to a new environment. We have to change our perception of this 
and realize that it's not about weight loss. It's not about the results we get. It's about who we become in the process. And if we focus on the process, the results will take care of themselves over time. The problem is that we get so wound up on the results, right? We want the weight loss. We want that number to look, to look a certain way on the scale. And if we don't achieve that, we think we're a failure. And so we base our mm-hmm. success or, or failure based on a number on a scale. And mm-hmm. that's what needs to change. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, and I think uh, you're definitely not adverse to hard things, right? <laughs> You've just completed a mammoth run of, uh, I, I believe you got 80 miles in, is that correct? Yeah, I was aiming for 100 miles in 24 hours. This is my first ever rate, like endurance race. The most I've done before is a 10K. This is the longest I've ran before. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, and, right. and, and I had one month to train for this. So I didn't have six months of preparation. I had one month to prepare my body and my mind to try and run 100 miles in 24 hours. And I, I got through 80, a little over 80 miles in 24 hours, which I'm still proud of because, you know, it's, I, I never would have known I could go that far had I not tried for 100. Mm. Well, I think that, uh, you know, talking about the, not the results, but the, the transformation, <laughs> um, what you learned going through that is probably much greater than actually having achieved the hundred because it doesn't leave you with wanting more. Did you finish that race? Um, knowing that you wanted to do the last 20 miles, but, um, probably knew that it was a safe limit to, to stop at. <clears throat> so I knew about, I think about two thirds of the way in that we were behind schedule, um, uh, pretty significantly about three hours or so. And I, I knew there was, my body was slowing down. I couldn't run as for a, a fast pace for a p- extended period of time at that point. And so I could really only walk, um, at a fast pace. Um, and so I knew I wasn't going to reach the hundred miles, um, at about two, two or 3 AM in the, during the race, I knew that there was no way I was going to reach it, but I wanted to finish the full 24 hours. So I said to myself, I'm going to finish this. Uh, I'm going to go the full 24 hours and how many ever miles I get in is how many miles I get in. So, um, you know, I think what I did a, a post about this on social media, talking about failure, you could look at this and say, you could look at it from two points of view. One, you could say, I told people I would do a hundred miles. I didn't reach that. Therefore I failed and I'm a failure. Or you could say, I didn't reach that goal, but here's what I learned from this experience. I learned that I could go 80 miles in 24 hours and I never would have known that had I not tried this. I also learned, um, you know, about what my, my mind and my body can do in a short period of time with only one month of training. There's so many lessons to be learned. If you look at these failures as lessons and, and things you can take away and apply in your life moving forward, then it's not a failure in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the problem. It kind of carries over into how we view tasks or endeavors we, we embark on in life. And sometimes we think, oh, well, I failed at this, therefore I suck and I'm a, I'm a failure. Or you could look at it from a different perspective and look at life happening for you, not to you. What's the lesson to be learned in any situation and grow from it and move forward from it? And then you'll never be a failure in your life. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think you often learn way more from failure than you do from success. Um, and I think that, you know, that that really highlights that. And so the, the 100 miles you were running from uh, Huntington Beach to San Diego, is, and, and you also had 
Uh, you're also donating to our rescue. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, Operation Underground Railroad is an organization. Uh, Tim Ballard is the founder. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. They travel around the world saving child sex slaves. So they set up these sting operations in, in mostly third world countries where they work with local law enforcement. They're a nonprofit organization. And they you know, find these, these sex slaves that are underage and they pull them out of slavery. They help rehabilitate them, find their families, find a job. Um, you know, really help them get back into society. And so it's a remarkable mission. And it's something that is, we don't want to open our eyes to sometimes because it's so difficult and painful to even think that there's over 2 million children worldwide that are enslaved and are in sex slavery, which means there's a demand for it. People are willing to pay money for this, which is sickening, but it exists. It, it's, it's an evil that exists out there. And, and this organization OUR, Operation Underground Railroad, is doing something about it. And so that's why I decided to donate to them. And we raised, you know, um, thousands of dollars for them to help save future child sex slaves uh, from sex slavery. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and if anyone does want to also donate towards that, I'll put the link to your Instagram post in the Thank show you. notes of this, uh, just so that if anyone does want to do that, then that's super easy to just go over um, and check that out. Um, yeah, and and I think you're currently icing your knee at the moment. Is that right? It, it must have been a pretty harsh recovery from <laughs> from 80 miles. I can't even think about how many Ks that is. It's like over 100 Ks, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't I didn't measure it in kilometers, but um, yeah, I am. I sat in my knee. It was pretty brutal on my on my legs, just because I sat down one time and that was it. I only sat down once the whole time, and just the amount of impact that my my legs took. Just my knee was swollen. I could barely bend it. Uh, my foot was swollen. Just a lot of pain in every my hips, um, all my hamstrings. Everything was my calves were really tight. Like I've never experienced that before, but you know, recovery is going well every day. I get a little bit more and more mobile and my hope is to actually complete the last 20 miles in the next couple of weeks with my brother who's coming into town. Um, so we're going to actually run the last 20 miles together. Oh, that's fantastic. And you did the initial run with him as well. Is that right? Yeah. So we ran together, uh, the, the race together, um, and so he's coming here and we'll finish, we'll finish the hundred miles, just no. not in 24 hours. Like we were hoping. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think that's a, a fantastic achievement. Um, and yeah, I think if you can tick that, tick that off, um, and, and get it out of your mind, then I think that that also helps too, you know, because once there's, once there's an unanswered, oh, a, a never ending story, it, it can become, <laughs> you'll start doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. Um, yeah, so, uh, it's, it's fantastic. You did that and it's fantastic. You did it for such a good cause. Um, and so towards the end of the podcast, I like asking a few quick questions, um, and you know, they're not always that quick. So <laughs> feel free to answer in as much detail as possible. Um, but is there a particular keto food that you cannot live without? Is there something that you maybe eat every day or just really, really enjoy that, um, you know, some people may not know about, I guess? That's a good question. So uh, I'm trying to think of a keto treat that I absolutely love. Um, I'm a huge fan of nut butters. Um, I, those are like, but those are one of those dangerous items for me that even though they're kind of key, even though they are keto, 
I could go overboard on easy. Right. I could easily do a scoop of nut butters. I get sent nut butters all the time from different companies. They're all amazing. They all taste good. And if I overdo it, then, you know, I'm definitely going to be gaining weight on keto. So I love them, but I also got to be careful. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, uh, not only, um, uh, jacking up the omega sixes, but also the lectins in there. Good old yeah. nut butters. They're, they're here to save us all. Um, is there any food that you dislike uh, that someone else might like? You know, some people don't like avocados. Some people don't like, um, I don't know, fish, seafood. Yeah. Uh, is there something like that for you? Yeah, actually, I love sardines and I love liver. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so a lot of people don't like the taste of those things, but actually eat, eat one of those almost every day. Either oh. some type of sardines or some type of liver. I don't mind it at all. I think it tastes pretty good. Yeah, right. And and so do you try and disguise the liver in any different ways, like pate or um, or do you just eat it, you know, straight off the pan with a little bit of butter? Uh, a little bit of butter and lots of salt. Ooh, okay. So yep. it tastes great to me. I don't prepare any fancy way. I'm not it's super fancy when it comes to cooking. I just very simple minded. But uh, yeah, I, I could eat it. I, sometimes I'll add other meat to it. Right. Sometimes all I do with ground beef or bison or sometimes like uh, pork, but it just by itself too. I don't mind either. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's probably something that most people are trying to get a hold on <laughs> um, because I know that those foods are particularly nutritious. Uh, yeah. So go to Drew if you need a, you know, how to learn how to eat liver. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think the most effective lifting exercise is? Or maybe one, uh, if you could only do one lifting exercise for the rest of your life, what would that be? Uh, that's a good question. I've always, always liked the deadlift. The deadlift is a great, uh, movement, you know, for your entire body, believe it or not. But it's also for me being able to, since I've sustained it and maintained it throughout all my workouts over the years, um, it, you know, for me, I've never had any injuries from deadlifting at all. Um, but it's one of those things that I've, I, I like to stay good at just to kind of measure my fitness level, my strength levels, uh, on other things. I don't really bench press anymore. I do squat, but I, I squat smarter. You know, I don't always load up the weights and go super heavy anymore. Um, but for me, deadlift is probably the most effective. Right. Yeah. No, I think that is a, a, a pretty common question or a common answer to that question, I guess. Uh, and and uh, I know that you only had one month to prepare for the run, but was there a particular training exercise or drill that you found particularly helpful when uh, when training for your run? Yeah, I, I used a 45-pound vest during a lot of my Ooh, runs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really heavy. But I used it during a lot of my runs to help strengthen the, the tendons and ligaments in my legs, my knees, my joints, just to kind of you know, get used to that kind of impact, even though I'm not going to be carrying around 45 pounds, uh, you know, during the race, but just to kind of prepare my body for that extra weight. I just, you know, cause I felt like I was carrying 45 extra pounds, you know? Mm, yeah. It's, it's the, those weight vests are crazy. Um, I, I used to do sprint exercises with them and you are yeah totally gassed by the end it's almost adding another you know if you were to just run it with a friend on your back like <laughs> it's not yeah. an easy task um is is there any books or podcasts that have recently inspired you mm. yeah well yeah obviously well before the race the reason i ran the race actually was because me and my brother were inspired by a david goggins book called can't hurt me yeah. 
it's a really good book if you haven't listened to it. Anyone that hasn't listened to it definitely needs to listen to it on Audible. It'll change your life. Remarkable story, super inspiring, and it's actually his fault that we came up with the idea to run 100 miles. <laughs> <laughs> you can blame him for um, that one. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so I used to be a musician for a long time, um, and I love to hear what people listen to, maybe some of the classics, some, maybe something <clears throat> listening to now, or is it just a playlist? What does that look like for you? So I'm very particular about my music. I'm all about enhancing the mood I'm in. So if I, it depends on the situation. So if I am answering emails, I, I only like music that has no words, no lyrics, only yeah. beats and sounds because I can focus more. When I'm um, you know, on the beach, I like reggae or happy music that just uplifts my, my soul. Uh, but when I'm working out, I need sometimes a mixture of good beats with a little bit of angry music during certain, you know, exercises. So it's all about the situation and the mood I'm in. Music really enhances whatever mood I'm already feeling. So, Mm, mm, yeah, I like that. And I, and I do find that, um, especially if you're at the gym or if you're working out those, those extra couple of, um, pounds or kilos, do come from just being amped up from listening to whatever it is that you've got blasting through your ears. So yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Um, and so, yeah. you know, at the very end of the podcast, I like asking, uh, you know, a big overarching question. And I think for you, this one would be, um, you know, for those who want to have similar results that you've achieved, not only from, um, you know, losing the weight, but also, um, being able to apply that in a ketogenic way. Now, uh, what's the most important aspect or the lead domino to achieve some something of, of, of the same results. Um, sorry, can you ask the question again? I'm not sure if I completely understand. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so if someone wanted to get uh, similar results on being able to lose, uh, lose weight or maybe have those complete rounded aspects of the ketogenic diet, what would be the lead domino um, that would um, push someone in the right direction? Yeah, I would say start out with with intermittent fasting because if you think about it, the quickest way to get into ketosis is just to stop eating. If everyone in this world stopped eating, we would all be in a, in a state of ketosis, you know, within a couple of days. So if you can get really good at intermittent fasting, maybe you don't start keto just yet, but fasting is is I think a great strategy to start out if you aren't if you're too afraid to try keto because. Most people know there, there's benefits to fasting. Um, and so if you've never done it before, I would start there. And then from there, maybe start researching which keto-friendly foods that you do like and which ones you don't like. Like if you you know like avocados, don't like avocados, like eggs, don't like eggs. You know, you, you know beforehand. But at least if you can get the intermittent fasting thing down, I feel like keto will be that much easier. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think some of the main benefits from keto come from fasting anyway. Um, and so where can people find you? Where can people get in contact with you? Uh, where can people buy your books? Um, what's, what's the, you know, where are some of your social medias linked at? Um, you know, uh, I know that you're pretty big on Instagram and Facebook, I think. Yeah, so all my social media handles are at fit to fat to fit with the number two, fit to fat to fit. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, YouTube as well. Um, and yeah, that's the name of my first book, Fit to Fat to Fit. My second book is called Complete Keto. 
Great. And all of the links of this will be in the show notes of the podcast. So if you didn't catch any of that, then definitely go ahead. Uh, and and I will also be linking the uh, Willpower Doesn't Work book and also Can't Hurt Me. So if anyone wants to check out those book recommendations, definitely head into the show notes of this podcast, whatever app you're using, you should be able to flick straight over to it. But Drew, I just wanted to say thank you um, for all of the listeners of this podcast. It's been a huge, um, you know, it's just been a, a huge thing for me to be able to interview you and uh, get some of your knowledge and some of your wisdom and how you apply the ketogenic diet uh, to, to help so many other people. So I just wanted to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all the listeners. Um, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.